Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. So the Bible reading for today is from the first book of the Corinthians, or the first letter written to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together again for the service? You know, when I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about this service appreciation day, I remembered a challenge, I don't know what to call it, that has been trending. All of us have probably have seen it. I'm not the bride. And so, the blight. <laughs> and so, everybody does it now at an event. And so, people will line up, let's say, at the party. And the first person will say, I'm not the celebrant. I'm the celebrant's cousin. I'm not the celebrant. I'm the celebrant's nephew. I'm not the celebrant. I'm the celebrant's wife. And at the end, the person will say, I am the celebrant. And everybody will clap. And there's a version of this that we see in the Bible. In Luke chapter 17, verse 10, Jesus said, it actually has to do with service. Jesus said, so you also, when you have done everything you have been told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In other words, this is a celebration service for servers. But our response is to say, I'm not the celebrant. I'm the celebrant servant. I'm not the celebrant. I'm the celebrant usher. I'm not the celebrant. I'm the celebrant patron. Remember, there is one who is worthy of celebration. There is one who has redeemed us by his blood. There is one who is worthy. He is worthy of honor and power and might and majesty and wisdom and dominion. Can you rise to your feet as we praise God? Oh, not to us, God, but to you. Hallelujah to the land. 
one here that wants to say with the psalmist in Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your love and your faithfulness. I don't know if there's anybody here that wants to say like David, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted above all. Lord, we worship you. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. And this is our confession. We won't stop praising you. We won't stop praising you. We won't stop loving you. Forever, forever. thank you for this time that we're about to go into we ask so oh God that it will please you to bless us with your word we ask so oh God that you open our, high, our, heart, our hearts that you open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word thank you Lord for answer prayers we ask in Jesus name can we put our hands together for Jesus welcome you again if this is your first time <coughs> like we said we're having service appreciation Sunday and I'm going to start the sermon today with a story I'm not the chief storyteller <laughs> 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 well I heard the story from Tedo and Tedo heard it from his mom 
shout out to Mr. Norm. It's about pipe organs. Pipe organs are those massive keyboards that we are often found in cathedral. That's the sound. Yeah, that makes that sound. So um, can you put a picture up of a pipe organ? And the way they work is that the sound is produced by pumping the air through the pipes with the use of devices called bellows. Nowadays, they are mostly electrically powered, but in those days, they were powered by an actual person at the background pumping the bellows. Elijah, you can stop now. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Pumping the bellows. And so these people were called organ blowers. And so the story goes that there was once a famous organist who had a performance. And he introduced his songs by saying, I will now play this song titled, da 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 And he will play it, and people will clap and cheer. And this went on and on and on. And then he said, for my final performance, I will play this song titled, this, 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 this. And he went to the organ and pressed it. No sound came out. He tried again. No sound. And so he went to the back and met the organ blower and said, oh boy, how far now? And the guy said, go back and tell them, we, we are the ones playing this song. And that's really what this service is about, is to acknowledge. <laughs> it's to acknowledge that there are a lot of people in the background pumping the bellows. And I was shocked when I found out that every Sunday we need, and I got the, full, the correct number from Pelumi, we need a minimum of 70 servers every single Sunday. In Holy, on Holy Communion Sundays, it goes up to about 90 or so. That's apart from church staff. And what we are doing today is saying, like the organ, blow, organ blower told the organist, that we, we are the ones doing it. And that everything you do for God through the ministry of City Church is valued, appreciated, and not taken for granted. And so my job here today is twofold. If you already serve, I hope that this sermon will be a booster. I need to encourage and spur you on to even more service. But also, if you're not serving yet, I pray that you'll be inspired to commit to serve God and his people. Amen. And so in this sermon, we have titled Faithful Service. We are going to be considering two questions. Why should we serve? And how should we serve? Our passage today is a single verse of scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. And it's a, it's a passage I think all of us should memorize. And so I'm going to read it in the KJV. It says, Therefore, <laughs> therefore my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Can we read it together? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Now, if you look at the beginning of the verse, how does it start? It starts with a therefore. What does therefore mean? Therefore means as a result of this. And this tells us is that what this tells us is that even though the, verse, the message of the verse seems straightforward, we will lose some of the meaning if we do not go back and check what has been said before. It means that for it to make the most sense, we must ask ourselves, what is the therefore 
Therefore, as a result of what? Now, I'm not the person that invented that. Now, what had been happening was that, what, if you go back to the top of the chapter, some people in the Corinthian church had been teaching that there was no resurrection. And so Paul took the whole of chapter 15 to explain to the Corinthian Christians Jesus' resurrection and its implications for Christians. And so, if I were to summarize the message of verse 58, Paul is saying, because of Jesus' resurrection, commit yourself to the work of the Lord. Because of Jesus' resurrection, commit yourself to the work of the Lord. And in the context of this chapter, I believe the work of God is referring specifically to the direct gospel work of evangelism and edification. In other words, what the church does. See the argument Paul makes in verse 30 and 32. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's saying, yes, everything I do to God's glory is the work of God. But there is also a particular work that I am doing for God that would be totally useless if the resurrection were not true. Does that make any sense? And so, if I were to summarize the verse again, it's saying, because of the resurrection, commit yourself to the kind of things that the church does. Be committed to the mission of the church. Why? Because of the resurrection. Why does he give the resurrection as motivation? He does this because the resurrection is proof that the gospel is really true. Think about it. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, all we have is a Jewish peasant that was killed like a criminal. And we have no reason whatsoever. In fact, it would be insane to believe any of his claims. Without the resurrection, the good news is fake news. That's what we see in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. But the Bible tells us in from verse 4 that not only was Jesus raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, to the twelve and to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Paul was telling the Corinthian Christians, I'm not lying about this. If you want, you can go and verify. The resurrection is proof that the gospel is really true. But what is this gospel? Here's the definition. The gospel is the good news that God has made the ink. <laughs> God has made the incarnate servant and crucified savior, Jesus the Messiah, the resurrected, exalted king priest, and the revealed judge of the world. And that's from our reverend doctor here. <laughs> and so if we use therefore, the therefore at the beginning to link verse 58 to the rest of the chapter, it is saying that if the gospel is true, to break down the definition I talked about, if it is true that God became the man Jesus and lived a perfect life and died for our sins and was raised on the third day and has ascended to heaven and is reigning in power and we return to judge the living and the dead, if this news is true, because this news is true, then it should cause you to serve God in a certain manner. And we see this argument all over Paul's epistles. He takes time to explain the gospel and then he says, in the light of this, this is how you ought to live. The most famous one, I think, is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we see that word again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The word translated proper from the Greek is the same word that means rational, logical. In the KJV, KJV says and renders it as your reasonable service. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is making the same argument as 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. That the only logical response to the news of what God has done and will do for you in Christ is a life of service to God. I came across a video a few weeks ago. It's an interview of a guy called Henry Alozier. That guy. And he was the best... Yeah, this guy. He was the best graduating student at the Federal University of Technology, Uwere. And if you know anything about Futu, it's a notoriously difficult school. And so this guy was asked how he made it, and here's what he said. And I quote, What led to this is my background. My dad is a carpenter. And each time while I was in school, I tended to see the image of him working. The image of him driving nail into wood kept recurring in my subconscious. And whenever I saw that image, I was motivated to work harder. Guess what? He not only graduated with a, two, with a first class, he graduated with a CDP of 4.93 over 5. Because you see, there's a difference between someone who is in university because that's what happens after secondary school, go to school. And somebody that knows, somebody that understands, somebody that realizes that he's only there because of someone else's sacrifice. And our case is much more than that because the Bible tell us, tells us for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And so our verse says, therefore, because of this, because the gospel is true, and Paul goes on to describe our response with adjectives that I think are deliberately expansive, steadfast, immovable, abounding. It's almost as if he's trying to say, you need to serve God in a way that shows that you understand the gospel. You need to serve God in a way that shows that you understand that nails were driven into our Savior's hands. That he carried the wood of the cross for your sake. You need to serve in such a way that shows that you understand that your sin caused the perfect sinless son of God his very life. In other words, the only logical response to the gospel is for us to say, dying for me was the most he could do. Living for him is the least I can do. Therefore, Therefore, but this also means, brothers and sisters, that if you are not doing the work of God in this manner, there is something else apart from the gospel that is in front of, that is the grounds for our therefore. We can draw a straight line from our actions to the assumptions beneath them. There is no body that is not serving because they are too busy. Or because they are too reserved. Or because they are too unqualified. Or because whatever excuse we have. No, the real reason we are not serving as we ought is that there is something else in front of us. Therefore, there is something that is answering the question, why do you live the way you do? And I want to ask us this morning, what is in front of your therefore? Why do you act the way you do? 
Maybe what is in front of you, therefore, is your comfort. And so, of course, you measure everything by that metric. And so, at the slightest hint of inconvenience, you're out. <laughs> Maybe it's your significance. And, of course, you only want to serve in front-facing roles, in roles where you can be perceived as impressive. Background roles do not concern you. Maybe it's control. And so, if things are not done your way or you're not the person in charge, you will not give your best. And I can go on and on and on and on. But the summary is this. Even though it manifests itself in different ways, more often than not, what is in front of your therefore is you. And that's why even worse, many of us do not even serve at all. Because we have a deeply rooted tendency to find the focus of our lives in ourselves. And so we approach even God with a consumer mindset. It's all about what I can get and how I am served. And so we'll say things like, I'm just here for the word. And after that, I'm off. I don't want to get involved because I like to mind my business. I didn't feel up to coming to church today. So I stayed at home. Do you see? It's all about your convenience, your benefit, how you feel. You, you, you. And you know what the Bible calls this self-centered way of living and thinking? The Bible calls it the flesh. And like Romans chapter 8 verse 8 tells us, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot, cannot, cannot please God. But there's good news. The good news is that the gospel changes everything. The good news is that we do not have to live according to the flesh because Christ has set us free from the bondage of the flesh to the freedom of life in the spirit. And so the Bible reminds us in Galatians 5 verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather, let's read it together, rather what? Serve one another humbly in love. Therefore, this leads me to my second point. How then should we serve? I'm hoping that someone is beginning to have a rethink. Beginning to say, maybe I need to change direction. Maybe I need to commit to serving. Here's the problem. This feeling of I need to change my ways, what we can call inspiration, it doesn't often last. It's why the gym is always crowded in January. <laughs> Everybody's New Year's resolution is to lose weight by the time you come in June. And the problem isn't with the inspiration itself. The problem is this, that sticking with something, what we can refer to as adherence, is a multi-layered issue. There are many things involved. And while I was thinking about this sermon, I was reminded of a framework developed by a guy called Dr. Mike Israel. And he's not a Christian, as far as I know. But his work in this regard closely tracks with what we see in this verse. And I think it's actually very helpful for us to understand serving. So let's see what he says. According to him, there are six constructs of adherence. Sticking with something. Inspiration, motivation, intention, discipline, habit, and passion. I'll say it again. Inspiration, motivation, intention, discipline, habits, and what? Passion. And we've covered the first two already, because as we've seen, our desire to change our ways should be driven by the gospel. 
And so if we were to put this graphically with adherence on the y-axis and time on the x-axis, yeah. Inspiration is this line here, the red line, that makes it when we start. And the motivation helps us continue with adherence over time. But here's the thing. Our motivation is not constant. It waxes and wings. And that's why it's represented as a wave. We say it all the time. We are gospel amnesiacs. We forget the gospel often. And this is why we need to hear the gospel over and over again and learn to preach the gospel to ourselves again and again because like the hymn says, we are prone to wander. And so, if we rely on motivation alone, today you're up, tomorrow you're down. Today you're up, tomorrow you're down. It can be hard to progress in our work for God. And that's where the third construct comes in. Intention. And now what for intention is a plan. <laughs> and here's what intention or a plan does for you. It gives you a baseline for motivation. Can you put up the graph? It helps you have a sense. That's the green line. It helps you have a sense of this is what I need to be doing at a minimum to fulfill my desire to serve God. Without that, we'll keep fluctuating. And so, just like in Fit Farm, where if motivation is saying, I want to live a more active lifestyle, intention is saying, I will live a more active lifestyle by walking 10,000 steps a day. Does that make any sense? If motivation is saying, I want to do the work of God, I want to serve God, intention is saying, I will serve God by being in the music team, or in the prayer team, or in the welcome team, or in the patrol team. It makes our adherence measurable. It lets us know what we need to do to keep it at a stable level. Now, having a plan is not everything. But like someone said, without a plan, your motivation is really just a wish. Without a plan, your motivation is really just a wish. And so can I plead with you to join a service team? Commit today to a plan to serve God and his people. Let us add intention to our motivation. But it doesn't end with intention as well. Because the heads of all the service teams will tell you that there are many people in my unit that are just there to make up the numbers and come for hangouts. <laughs> they, cannot they cannot be lied on. And so the question is this. What is the difference between two people who both have motivation, who both have a plan, but one of them turns out to be very committed, and the other one, you have to make a backup plan anytime you schedule them. We see it in our verse. Paul says, let's go back to our verse. Paul says what? Therefore what? Be steadfast and unmovable. The word there is talking about being strong, firm, being stationary, to be reliable. But the question is this. How can you be steadfast? Well, like we said, your motivation waxes and wings. How can you be immovable when your motivation is moving up and down? What we need in addition to our motivation and our intention is discipline. I know we don't like to talk about it. Someone has defined discipline this way. Discipline is the use of willpower to meet our intention when the motivation is not enough to do it. Because when we are motivated, we are doing the most. You don't need willpower when you're motivated. It's like being a cool auntie. You're there for a good time, not a long time. Hey, baby, 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 baby. Once you're tired, oh yeah, take your team. 
The admonition to be steadfast is not for the good times. It is precisely of those days that you're not feeling it that Paul is saying, hey, 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 be steadfast. Stay the course. Stand firm. And if you see our graph, discipline in yellow. Can we have the graph, please? Tops up the gap between your motivation on the down days and your intention. The question is this, how then do we stay the course? There are many reasons, many ways we can be more disciplined. I'm just going to give us two. The first one is this. The first one is this. You have to expect that there will be hard times. You're not going to always enjoy serving. There are days when you're supposed to be in church in se at 7 a.m., music team, and you just want to roll over in bed. And expecting that days like this will come is already half the battle. It's why when God called Jeremiah, I think he told him from the jump, chapter 1, verse 19, they will fight against you. <laughs> be aware that it will not be easy. And so when the difficult times come, you're like, okay, I was expecting it. It's time for me to put on my big boy or my big girl pants and do what I had committed to do. Here's the problem, though. Sometimes we run out of willpower. At a point, even Jeremiah got tired. In verse 20, he says, in verse 20, verse 7, he says, God, you deceive me. And I was deceived. In other words, he choke. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody here that can relate to this. I'm like, ah, I was tired. And so the second thing we can do is to remember that we have the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit available to us. Amen. God promises to grant us the grace to persevere, to push forward, and to be immovable. And when Jeremiah remembers this, in the same chapter, chapter 20, when he complains, he also testifies in verse 11, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Brothers and sisters, this grace is always, always, always available to us. The problem, I think, is that, I keep talking about the problem, but the problem is that I think many times we expect the help of God or the enablement of the Spirit to come with bells and whistles. To come like maybe a power-up in a video game or a Marvel movie that you just need to like... <laughs> no, 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 here's how it, how it often looks like. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Many times, God's empowerment just looks like you showing up despite how you feel and getting things done. It doesn't always get easier. But God sustains you through it and gives you the grace to dig deeper. And it's my prayer for you if you're a server that you will not faint in a day of adversity. Amen. That God will renew your strength and cause you to run and not be weary in the name of Jesus. And this is a good place to end. But Paul doesn't end there. He doesn't only exhort us to be, exhort us to be steadfast and immovable. He also says what? Abound in the work of the Lord always. I think it makes sense for us to look at this list sequentially. Because <laughs> I think that's how it, ha it works. Abounding comes about as a consequence of standing firm and refusing to be moved. Let's consider the word abound. The word there means to overdo. 
What does it mean? Very simple. There is do. To abound is to do over the do you have done before. To abound in the work of God is to exceed expectations. To go above and beyond. To excel at the tasks you are assigned. And Paul is saying, guys, meet the level of do. Then overdo. And I think it's a two-step process. We, we first abound in diligence and then we abound in skill. We abound in diligence and then we abound in skill. And it can be frustrating to talk to people who are already skillful because if you ask them, how do you do it? How are you always serving? God, so for me. They'll probably just say, I don't, I don't know. I probably, I, I just do it, I guess. And our conclusion, our conclusion then is to say, ah, it's like this thing is full of como. I could never do it. In the words of my former, former governor, if he didn't day, he didn't uh, day. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it works. Here's how it works. You cannot overdo if you do not first do. You cannot overdo if you do not first do. You get to abounding by being steadfast and then being steadfast some more. It's like climbing uphill. If we keep at it, it's hard. But if we keep at it, eventually we'll experience the momentum of gliding downhill. And if we go back to our graph, we'll see we still have bad days. But because we have kept at it, can we have the graph up? If you notice, not only is adherence going up, the amount of willpower that you need to meet your intention on the bad days is getting smaller and smaller. And I've watched someone go through this process in serving God, and so I'm just going to talk briefly about her. My wife, Tomisin. My joy, Tomisin. Tomisin does a number of things in church. She serves on the welcome team. She's in... She's in, she's in the ushering team. She's in City Kids. But she also is serves on the Bible reading team. And I'm not biased. Well, I'm a bit biased. But she's actually one of the best readers on that team. How did she get there? How did she get there? I'll tell you. And she actually still does this, by the way. When she's assigned a text, she prints it out. And then practices it over and over. But she doesn't stop there. She then goes to her Bible app and listens to it being read so she can be sure of the pronunciations of the names. But she doesn't stop there. She then goes on YouTube and listens to other people reading that same, that same passage. Over, over and over again, she's taking note of their diction and their cadence. Then she goes back and practices it again and again. And what has happened? Her reading has consistently I'll say maybe exponentially, gotten better and better and better. Like that famous paraphrase of Aristotle says, we are what we do repeatedly. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Habit comes from the Latin word habito. It means to live in. It means that something is now ingrained in you. Why? Because you have done it over and over and over again. And you can say, oh, this sounds like a lot of work. And maybe it is. But hear what David says in 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not offer to God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Commit 
So abounding in diligence and you will see yourself abounding in skill. There's one more level of abounding that we can get to. That I believe God wants all of us to get to. It's not just abounding diligence or abounding skill, but to abound in joy. This is where we move from. We move from habit to passion. If you look at the graph, it is still a wave. Can we have the graph up, off, up please? We, it is still a wave. We still need to be motivated by the gospel. We still have ups and downs. But if you notice, our performance is so high above our intention that our worst day is better than the average person's best day. This is the point where service moves from duty to delight. The point where God's spirit is so working us that we are not just able to serve at a high level, we are excited to do so. We see this in the Macedonian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. No wonder when Paul saw this, how does this describe it? Verse 1, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about what? The grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Because you see, brothers and sisters, there is an overflowing joy in service. An excitement about the work of God that can only come from the Spirit of God. The word enthusiasm literally means to be inspired by God. He's saying that something inside you is overflowing and bubbling up into an abundance of joy and general service all around you. And guys, this is not just an, ide an ideal or something we can never attain. It is a commandment of scripture. Romans 12 verse 11 says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Bubble up in service to God. How can we get there? Two things and then I'm going to close. We need to realize that serving is not something we do as a favor to the church or something that we are forced to do, but something that we are privileged to do. Many times, the reason why we view serving in church like a side gig that we can just drop anytime we like is because we do not realize this. If we understand like Philippians 1 verse 29 says, you have been given the privilege of serving Christ. We will not only go out of our way to do our very best, we will be happy to do it. And that is why the patrol team will say, we are not going to wait for church to give us tools, but we will raise money among ourselves to produce branded raincoats and rain boots and umbrellas so that we can serve God's people. It's why Tedo and Auntie Delmo will say, because we teach city kids, we'll commit to paying for training out of our pocket and go all the way to Aja on Saturdays and Sundays, including public holidays, for an entire month so that we can do the work of God better. Why do they do this? Because they realize that it is a blessing and an honor and a privilege to be able to do the work of the Lord. And we can ask God for grace to serve in this way. That's the prayer we pray every weekday in my family that embodies this. And here's how it goes. Dearest Lord, teach me to be generous. To serve you as you deserve. 
to give and not count the cost. To fight and not heed the wounds. To toil and not seek for rest. To labor and not ask for reward. Save that of knowing that I am doing your will. Through Christ our Lord. And if that's your prayer as well, can I hear you say an amen? amen. The second motivation, I'm rounding off now, is right there in the passage. Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, and abound always in the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Last time we're talking about how our service is a response to what God has done for us in Christ. And there's a sense in which our service means nothing because we could never up we could never measure up to God's kindness. It's a rounding error. But there's also a sense in which it means everything. Because it truly, actually matters. And sometimes God actually allows us to see how our service is changing lives. Maybe you hear a testimony. Maybe you see someone that God has used you to help and it just hits you. Like, oh my goodness. I'm actually making a difference. This realization can energize you and fill you with joy in service. But there are many other ways that we serve and no direct testimony can come out of that. Maybe your work is for God is truly being in the background, pumping the bellows. <laughs> Maybe you're one of the projector guys and the only time we notice your team is when there is one Sunday in maybe 10 that there is a mistake and everybody will just turn angry. Look at them, what are they doing? What are they doing? It can be tough to find joy in those types of situations. And yes, we are talking about sevens, but sometimes some, some of us look back on decisions we have made for the sake of the gospel that may have resulted in broken relationships or lost opportunities or hardships in life. And sometimes we cannot say it out loud, but sometimes we wonder, do we make a mistake? Is it really worth it? Have we wasted our lives? Brothers and sisters, if you're in these shoes, God sent me to remind you that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. God sent me to remind you that here in this world we have no abiding city, but we seek one that is to come, that is unheavenly, and God is not ashamed to be called your God because he has prepared for you a city. And a day is coming when Jesus will return. When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. A day is coming when the perishable will be clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And then will come to pass the same which has been written. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And on that day the son of man, the one before whose face the heavens and the earth flee, will sit on his glorious throne and give to everyone their just reward. And we are promised, brothers and sisters, that all who labor faithfully for the Lord will hear him say, will hear the divine accolade, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter, enter into the joy of your master. Oh, my brothers and sisters, there is a reward. There is a reward. There is a reward. Listen to me. Nothing done for the cause of Christ is meaningless. Nothing giving up for the sake of Christ is truly lost. 
Nothing done for the cause of Christ is meaningless. Nothing given up for the sake of Christ is truly lost. There is a reward. There is a reward. There is a reward. How can we be sure of this? How can we be certain? How can we know for sure there is a reward? And of course the answer is we can be sure because Jesus rose from the dead. Because of the resurrection, you can take it to the bank that faithful is he that called you and he will do exactly what he has promised. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters, do not give up. Do not grow lose heart. Do not grow weary in doing good because we shall reap at the proper time if we faint not. And so I tell you, therefore, 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 be ye steadfast, unmovable, always, abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Shall we rise to our feet? Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City